just a word of warning to today's audience before we get into today's episode. This episode discusses topics that include death, child loss, sick children, and childhood trauma. We've included mental health resources in the episode description, and please be sure to take care of yourself. Now on with today's episode. Welcome to Unwrite Mind. I'm your host, Paige Gregory, and today's guest is Katie Van Nuys. Katie has a Bachelor's of Science in Neuroscience with a concentration of Cognitive Behavioral Neuroscience, and she is a candidate for her Master's of Public Health in Maternal and Child Health at George Washington University. Welcome, Katie. We're so happy to have you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm ready to kind of dive into everything that we'll be talking about. I'm happy to be on the show. We're going to kick it off by giving you a quick definition of grief. So grief is the response to loss, particularly when you lose someone who you have formed a strong bond or attachment with. Beyond the general definition of grief, there are more complex forms of grief, which are as follows. There's anticipatory grief, which that's grief in anticipation to a death or loss. So for example, if someone has a terminal illness or you know someone who's leaving on a military deployment or even someone who's battling addiction. You can also experience disenfranchised grief, which is grief that a person experiences when the loss cannot be openly acknowledged, is socially sanctioned, or publicly mourned. So for example, this can be a friendship ending, a divorce, an affair ending, getting an abortion, dealing with infertility or having a miscarriage, or It could be someone who is not socially recognized as a person who should grieve. This could be a nurse, a caregiver, or even a parent who's trying to help their child get through grief. So there are many catalysts that can cause an individual to experience grief. Katie's going to now walk us through what experiencing grief can feel like. So for me, I definitely haven't felt the traditional stages of grief in the way that one might think of them. So the stages of grief or the traditional stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Some people might think of them as a kind of stages or you work through one to get to the next, but I've experienced them all at once or none at all. Um, I don't believe that they're mutually exclusive. Um, So I felt like it was very important to kind of highlight that they can all occur in the same world. You want to quickly explain what each of those feelings can be like? Yeah. So first with denial, it's just, you know, the thought of this can't be happening to me. This can happen, you know, right when you lose your loved one and even time afterwards. And that's why I think that although it might be the first quote unquote stage of grief, it still can occur weeks, months after you've lost a loved one, Um, mostly just because of the shock factor, I feel like, when you're kind of propelled back into the grief and the loss, a lot of it is just, it's hard to remember everything. And it's hard to remember, I just went through that. I just lost someone. Why is this happening? 
And so that makes sense too, why that's very stereotypically the quote unquote first stage of grief. Obviously we can experience it at any time. Definitely. And it is also just a defense mechanism for your brain. Therapist definitely pointed that out right in the beginning of, of my sessions, because, you know, you just can't always be in that state, that really deep state, remembering the very hard things. Um, so I definitely feel like denial is a defense mechanism and sometimes it can be useful. And then again, remembering the shock, that's when kind of the denial takes present. So the second one's anger. And that one's definitely, you know, self-explanatory. Anger usually is the mind frame of why is this happening to me? Um, it could be inwards anger, you know, feeling that anger towards yourself and the actions that you've experienced with the loss or leading up to the loss um, or trying to place blame elsewhere. Also just at the universe or, you know, if you believe in a God or fate, you know, the kind of plan of action. I also think this goes back to like denial of like, why is this happening? and feeling angry towards that maybe life process. Um, The next one is bargaining. Commonly, you know, thought process is I will do anything to change this. So with the loss, it's I will do anything to get this person back. A lot of times it's replacing your own life with theirs or, you know, going through something extremely hard to get a moment back with them or doing redoing time. Makes a lot of sense. And is the next, does the next step happen to be depression? Depression is the next stage. um, And that totally ties into the bargaining aspect. If you're willing to kind of replace your life with the person that you've lost, it definitely can open the floodgates for depressive thoughts. Uh, Mostly just, you know, what's, what's the point of going on after this? And it's hard. It's extremely hard getting to that stage or experiencing, again, this stage of grief, whether it's in sequential order or um, just as itself, um, because it, it can lead to all of these anger, denial, bargaining. That's why I felt like for me, they're not all mutually exclusive because they can just happen in the same thought process. Um, And so for the last one, it is acceptance. This one is kind of interesting because with them not being mutually exclusive, acceptance can happen. And for me, it tends to happen maybe at the end of me going through these feelings of grief. Not to say that you end on a high note, but I think it's just productive to when you're inside all of these thoughts to not leave them in such a a heavy place. And if, you know, you need to move on to anything else during your day, or you need to focus on something else that's probably healthy and productive. And so just with acceptance, kind of the thought process of it's going to be okay, but a lot of times you can't accept the loss because you just don't want it to happen. So I feel like this stage is definitely more nuanced than people might think it is because, you know, you can't change time like you might want to with the bargaining stage. I was going to say, do you sometimes find acceptance and bargaining kind of going head to head? Oh, yeah. yeah. I can see that, especially because it's kind of one reality versus what you would ideally 
like to happen. Because you don't want it to happen. And that's where the bargaining comes in, but it has happened. And how can you productively move through your day without feeling so consumed by, you know, the bargaining, by not wanting this to happen? I think that's where the acceptance comes in. I think it's more of a grounding feeling of, again, you're not fully accepting that this loss has happened, but you kind of have to. So it's just kind of in the middle ground of it all. Like allowing yourself to move forward and not be consumed by it, but still not fully putting it down. I agree. Yes, definitely. So going into what grief we have personally experienced, obviously we want to not drown in any sorrow, but we also want to acknowledge that There are various types of situations in your life that could be causing you grief that you may be ignoring and writing off as like not a big deal or something that shouldn't be bothering you when in reality you could be grieving from it. Mm -hmm. And so one thing in particular that I had written off through the majority of my life was I've really struggled with friendship and making consistent, long-lasting, long-term friends. And that is due to the fact that I deal with autism type one and I've only recently been diagnosed. And so although I've known that I've struggled making friendships throughout my life, I always thought that it was something just wrong with me versus a disability that I was experiencing. And so I've mourned countless friendships due to my inability to successfully connect and communicate. I really struggle to know where the healthy balance is between too much and too little communication or what a normal quote unquote friendship looks like. It's led me to feeling isolated, lonely, and grieving my lack of connection. Since I've been able to kind of wrap my head around this and grieve some loss of friendships and understand that what I'm experiencing is grief and allowing myself to maybe put in a little more effort with those that I do know and connect with or in future friendship situations, maybe making more of an effort there or letting them know what it is that I'm experiencing or dealing with. So maybe they can have a little bit more empathy, but That is definitely one thing that I wouldn't have stereotypically described as grief, but I do now realize is grief. The second piece of grief that I experienced that I didn't originally see as grieving was the fact that I went through childhood trauma that caused me not to feel safe and secure within my home. So I had one parent who was neglectful. They were constantly working and traveling. And another parent who was responsible for 100% of the child care, they had untreated mental illness, which led to abuse and neglect. And although it's not traditional grief, I'm still continuously working to grieve the childhood I had and accept that I didn't get the childhood that I needed which I go through a lot of therapy through that. And I'm still very close with my parents and we regularly discuss and talk through feelings and are actively working to grow and repair our relationship. So that's 
a little bit of kind of some confusing grief in my brain, but grief nonetheless. And so Katie, what have you had to experience um, as far as grieving goes? My nephew James got sick in late August of 2021. He developed RSV, which is a illness very common in infants and young children, which RSV um, is a respiratory illness that attacks their lungs. And James was given a 99% survival rate when he developed symptoms. He was really healthy, so his deterioration happened quickly. And I was actually with him, with his mom, the final days he was home. So there is a lot of survivor guilt there for me. On his first birthday, he actually was put on a ventilator. So we didn't get to celebrate his first birthday. With being on the ventilator, he was intubated and he was improving. So about two weeks after he was in the hospital, they decided to extubate him, which was when complications arised. The extubation caused a blockage in his throat, cutting off circulation, cutting off oxygen supply to his heart, which then cut off oxygen supply to his brain. And he was not breathing for 40 minutes. So with these complications, the main focus of concern went to his brain now. They needed to assess the brain damage that occurred, which took a while. We were actually at the hospital the day after these complications happened. And that day, in conjunction with the day that I lost James and the day prior to us coming down when all of this happened, 100% the worst days of my life. Because the focus shifted to his brain, they needed to make sure they were getting the best care for him that he could receive. And so a different hospital in the Richmond area did have a better neurology program and more innovative focuses for him. So they decided to, to do that, but it was, he had to make, they had to make sure he was stable. He was having seizures constantly. Things that we didn't imagine happening happened. And that was just an exhausting day, but the transfer was successful. His seizures did stable stabilize. And then about a week later, they, he was stable enough for them to take MRIs to determine the brain activity. And they determined that there wasn't any. And that was when my sister and brother-in-law had to make the decision of what kind of life his, what kind of life he would have if he were to remain on life support And even if he were to improve, he was never going to be the James that we knew and loved. The James that was so bubbly and full of life and he loved learning and being just a typical one-year-old and growing through everything. And so with that decision, um, my family all did get to say goodbye to him. And even though he didn't have any brain activity, he was still there. When I said goodbye to him, he squeezed, I was holding his hand and he squeezed my hand back. And so I did feel like he was still there. 
he he received amazing medical care and this was just, it was a complication. That's what it was and it happens. But when you're given a 99% survival rate, you don't, you don't even think to the 1% when you're given 99%. You had mentioned that you had decided to go into a public health program at George Washington University that focuses on maternal and infant health. You happen to make that choice well before any of this happened with James, correct? Yes. The fact that you're now studying something that is so close to your heart is phenomenal. I agree. I wouldn't have ever imagined, one, that this would occur to me. It was definitely hard at first. It was triggering. It was talking about children and and disease and death in my classes. And I believe I will, with time, become stronger in handling that. And I really do hope one day I'm able to use this experience and use the strength and the love that I have for James in helping others. I fully believe that you can accomplish and succeed at anything you put your mind to. And within the book, The Body Keeps the Score, the author discusses that when you go through trauma, your life is put on hold. You're unable to process emotions properly and you become numb to life's ups and downs. Essentially, you're just living in survival mode and it takes time for your brain to wake up and start processing emotions properly again and allowing yourself to experience the ups and downs of life. And so sometimes when you go through trauma, if you don't allow yourself to process it, your brain can stay stuck and you can develop PTSD, depression, anxiety. And in these instances, therapy and medication may be useful tools to help you begin processing to get your brain unstuck and out of survival mode. Don't be afraid to lean on your mental health providers or your doctors or let those closest to you know how much you're struggling and how much you need help. And I think this story can be a testament to the fact that people can be going through incredibly hard things and still be showing up in their daily life and you may not know. And so it's really important to be going through life with so much empathy and kindness towards others. I definitely agree. (laughs) You lost your nephew, James, and either recently before he passed or after he passed, your sister found out that she was pregnant again, which can be a whole confusing cohort of emotions. And so do you want to briefly talk about that, how it's like experiencing grief and joy all in one? Yes. So my sister, James's mom, found out that she was pregnant just after James passed away. She and her husband actually told our family just after James's funeral. It wasn't something that we were anticipating. They made it thankfully clear that they want more children, that they need their lives and their home to be full of laughter and love. That's a beautiful thing to want and ask for. And That in itself, I was so thankful for. So them finding out that they were pregnant was the 
biggest blessing anyone could have ever hoped for. It was something that I wanted for them eventually. I wanted for our family eventually, but to find out that it was happening so quickly after was terrifying, especially having my sister hearing her experiences because just living with the grief and the joy are happening synonymously. And so now she is in her third trimester. The baby is due in May. And like you said, it's all about living with the quote unquote and the joy and the sorrow, the grief and the happiness. We've learned that they do not happen in separate spaces. They happen together. And it does complicate a lot of things because honestly, the grief, more of the negative feelings or the heavier feelings that are associated with my grief and losing James are more dominant. But we do have the happiness and the joy in anticipation for this new baby and what this new baby's life could be like. And that's where, you know, the joy of seeing this baby go through its first year will also be joined by the fear of what we've experienced with James and maybe the hardship that might happen if we see something with this new baby that reminds us of James. You know, it's something that I just never thought would happen, but here we are now, we're, we're living through it. We're having to deal with very polarizing feelings and emotions. And instead of fighting them. I'm trying to embrace both of them. And you're embracing an end as well as a beginning. And so you think of them so polar opposite, whereas you kind of have to think of it as a circle. That's a great way to put it because this can happen to anyone. This could be in different forms. And that's where it's important to let others know if they are experiencing any form of grief or loss that it's okay to also embrace the more positive feelings of said experiences that are happening together. A hard thing or something that I'm actively trying to teach myself is to not feel burdened by all of the more maybe negative feelings, wanting to experience those because those are tied to my grief and tied to me mourning James. I believe that there's a time and place for those. And so I've had to set mental and emotional boundaries for experiencing those because it's not healthy for me to constantly be in that state of mourning and grieving. And I know that those will happen. Those will always happen. But I'm trying to allow myself to let the joy and the happiness, like you said, of this well-connected still new chapter. And honestly, to let myself be happy, I will always mourn James. I will always miss him. He will always be a part of my life. But I have to tell myself constantly that I do deserve happiness. And so does anyone else that is experiencing grief and loss, because we do need reasons to get up every day and to enjoy life and to feel purpose into living for our loved ones that we've lost. And I believe that embracing the joy and happiness of this new season and this new baby is the universe's way, James's way of letting us know that 
he wants us to be happy because he did provide us so much joy. I've never loved anything more than I've loved James. Now that grief is all the love that is unexpressed to him. But he also, I believe, did place this new baby in our lives for a reason. And so it's just experiencing everything all at once is a lot. In the future, I do hope that my story will be a source of strength for other mothers, other families going through similar experiences, whether that is with RSV and learning more about that and how public health practitioners, doctors, families can protect their children from it or through mental health efforts, through families experiencing this form of grief, through mothers and kind of analyzing the traditional roles that women have in society and how mental health can make that look so different from an individual perspective and kind of how to, how to balance everything. And so helping others, either through education or comfort and support, if you are going through or have gone through something similar, is something that fuels me and will continue to fuel me. Um, So I'm really happy that I have a space to do that with you. So thank you. Thank you, Katie, for joining me today. I appreciate your story and you opening up and giving us a little bit of an idea of what grief may look like and what the complex feelings may be associated with grief. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Paige. It's been awesome being on here. Thank you for tuning in to Unright Mind. Be sure to treat yourself with extra kindness and compassion. We'll see you next time.